What's that old statement about character? It's easy until it's tested. Now, the same thing is true for authenticity. It is easy to be your best authentic self until you're pushed to the limits and tested. And our guest today knows all about being authentic and what it takes to truly be that. All today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Will. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have Stacy Epstein on. You know, when you meet somebody, if you've been around this business long enough, you meet them and you go, that person's exceptional. And then you see them become more exceptional over the years. Well, Stacy's exactly that person. As the global VP at Success Factors, she moved up to become the CMO at ServiceMax, and now she's the CEO for several years at Zinc. She is knocking it out of the park. She's a fantastic person, but more importantly, she's an authentic person. She knows what it takes to be your best authentic self. And yeah, she's got some great marketing insights. She's seen the ups and downs and sideways of this business. She has great subject matter expertise, but she is a truly authentic person through and through. I know you're going to love listening to the podcast, so sit back, take a listen as Stacey Epstein talks marketing and authenticity. Hi, everyone. I'm here today talking to Stacey Epstein, CEO of Zinc. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, why don't we start by, um, I'd love if you could share a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I've been in enterprise software for almost three decades now, a little less, more like 25 years. Uh, started my career actually as an administrative assistant at Oracle. Um, and actually, I was an administrative assistant to an administrative assistant. <laughs> I was even lower than, than, um, than an admin. Um, but I just got really interesting, interested in both tech and specifically marketing. I did a couple of direct sales jobs, which I highly recommend to any marketer, um, but pretty much found my way into marketing at a couple of different Oracle and then some smaller enterprise um, startups. Eventually made my way to Success Factors, which at the time was about 75 people, uh, fairly early stage startup, and I ran global marketing there up through the IPO, and I left just about a year before the $3.5 billion acquisition by SAP. Uh, and from there I went to ServiceMax, where I was employee 15 and came on as the CMO and was there for about six years and left just a little bit before the $1 billion acquisition by GE. And then most recently, I've been here at Zinc for just coming up on three years now as the CEO. Excellent. So um, let's start with the CMO roles, right? You spent many years as a CMO and VP of marketing at B2B tech companies. Um, Tell me about sort of how you approached that role of CMO um, and what is your take on kind of what is the essence of that role? Yeah, I think um, if I can boil it, boil it down to two crucial main things, and everything to me falls under these two main things. And the first one is you have to know yourself. Right, and by yourself, I really mean your company, your product, your offering, right? You have to really succinctly understand what is it that you do and what do you want to be known for as a company. 
Um, and then secondly, you need to understand your audience. And I talk a lot about empathy and I've written about empathy being the most important business trait, but I think that's where number two really comes in. If you can put yourself into the shoes of your audience and understand what is valuable to them, what do they care about, what is going to be compelling to them, what is going to make them want to buy, and you have a great understanding of exactly what you can do and who you are and what you want to be, and if you can marry those two together, then that's where you have really successful marketing. That makes a lot of sense. So do you think sort of taking that down from the like, you know, high level a little bit, um, do you think there's anything in particular you did in those roles that made you and your team successful in your company? Yeah, um, let's start with success factors. In the early days, you know, success factors was a real pioneer in cloud. And we had to do a lot around making cloud amenable to an IT team who had never even really dealt with cloud. And certainly Salesforce was out there helping. Um, but we had to do a lot of, of convincing IT. At the same time, we were selling to a, a relatively new audience, which was HR. And uh, HR mostly had been responsible for buying administrative payroll, like strategic enterprise software hadn't really been available to the HR department. So it was a little bit of a new, a new audience at the same time that it was a new category performance reviews, right? And in those very early days, there were actually quite a few companies out there doing what we were doing. I think Success Factors is known as the pioneer now, but back in those days, we were in in, in head-to-head dogfights. And, and I'm gonna tell a little story that I think reflects that, like know who you are. We were going to the HR tech conference, and we were tiny. And and back in those days, HR, you know, that's where everybody who's in HR goes. They go to HR tech. Um, and there, there was this session at HR tech. I don't even know if they still do this, but every year you, they used to do this this bake off where they would have two up and coming vendors in a new space they would have the CEOs up on stage at the same time and they would have them like demo features and they would literally put them head to head. I know your face is telling me that you also think that's kind of a bold and crazy thing to do. Well, I remember our initial reaction was, no way we're going to do that. I mean, who would do that? Why would a CEO sit up there on stage with another CEO and like battle out product to product? It's just, it's sort of a no-win scenario. And I remember taking it to Lars, who, Lars Dalgard, who was the founder of Success Factors, um, and, and being like, hey, you know, this opportunity came up. I think we should say no. I don't think there's any anything to win here. Uh, I'm a little worried about what happens if we say no and they say yes. How's that going to look? And he says, no, we're going to do it. And I'm thinking, okay, I guess we're going to do it. And I'm nervous <laughs> about, you know, I'm running marketing. Like, this is how we're going to be known. And about two days before the conference, you know, we're trying to get him prepped. We're, we're creating demo scenarios and he just wants no part of it. He doesn't want to spend the time. He's like, I've got this, I've got this. And this was pretty early days, I know. <laughs> you can feel my stress. It was pretty early days, so I don't think I really understood who Lars was at the time. Um, so about two days before, he calls me and the woman who worked for me and a couple of other people into the room and he's like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna dress up like Elvis and 
I want somebody to be sitting in the audience with a boombox playing the song, you know, the song, a little less conversation, a little more action, <laughs> and I'm going to walk in. And he's like, and I'm going to, and then I'm going to do the demo. And I'm thinking, wait, wait what? You're going to what? <laughs> you know, I'm panicking, thinking, oh no, like what, how is this going to work? Can we even pull this out? Like logistically, can we do this? How is this going to be? What is going to happen? And I thought, you know what? Why not? Like the whole thing seems a little like a farce. So we get there. The room is packed because it's a bake-off, right? Everybody, everybody who's anybody at the show is packed into this room. And we sneak in a boombox. And the, you know, the guy is up on stage. The other CEO is sitting there. I don't even remember what company it was. They he's are got gone. No idea. What's he's sitting him. there ready. I'm sure he's prepped, right? And the guy says, and Lars Dahlgaard, CEO of Success Factors, and the woman on my team presses play, and it just booms. <laughs> and he comes out, I'm telling you, and I don't know if you've ever met Lars, but he's like 6'4", you know, big blonde Danish guy, and he is head to toe, black wig, huge belt, and he is dancing to this song up the aisle. I am telling you, we... We made a huge, huge mark at the show. Now, nobody even was paying attention to what feature was being shown, and he stayed in character the whole time. Like, in some ways, he made a little bit of a mockery of what actually was a mockery in the first place, right? And remember, this is going back to understand who you are and understand your audience, okay? We're selling to HR right these are people that are full of personality they're people people they probably were also a little bit uncomfortable with like pitting two people on the stage that's not what they're about right and so we just fed right into i mean i'm telling you our booth was i think half of them just wanted to meet him but it really at a very early stage set like this is a company that doesn't do it the same way. We're not gonna just follow archaic rules. We don't have any issue having a character and a personality. And the HR audience literally ate it up. And from then on, I mean, I could tell you more stories, some even much more painful than that one from a logistic yeah. perspective, but we were always pushing the envelope. We were always acting different. We always had a personality and a character, and it was always with the mind of that HR person. Now, we eventually expanded and sold to the C-suite, but I think I love that story and I just remembered that story recently, so I'm retelling it, but to me it's about that. I don't think we had ever really defined who we were, but from that moment on, that's who we were. And also, it was understanding the audience that, that helped um, that made that such a brilliant move. And I take no credit for it. All I did was agree to execute it. But I try now, now I have a different audience at Zinc, right? And we had a very different audience at ServiceMax. So doing something like that wouldn't have been right. And, and it probably isn't the right character for every company, but for who we were at that moment, it really shot our brand like through the roof after that. Well, I think that's what strikes me about that example is the importance of brand, which, at least in my experience, B2B tech companies often don't, I think, recognize the value of, perhaps. And when you have are in a competitive space and you need to differentiate features and functions versus brand. So uh, my feelings on features and functions versus brand it, it, and, and I'm going to go in a couple places here. One is 
authenticity matters. That was not some ad agency saying, okay, Lars, we want you to dress up in an Elvis suit and we're gonna convince you to do it. Now, bigger companies certainly have agencies and marketing teams, but that came from an authentic place. That, that was a little bit about who he was and he was injecting himself into the brand of the company. Um, I look at a lot of founders who think they don't understand marketing and and they want to hire somebody else to help them create a brand that's like refreshing. Sometimes that works. My feeling is, especially if you're the founder and this was your idea, you're part of it. Who are you? Right? And how does who you are reflect the brand? And if if it's completely at odds, I question whether you're the right person to be running the company. Um, there's probably a lot of synergies between who you are as the founder, and it's also true with CEOs who are not founders. Um, there's synergy there, and when you can approach the brand with some of that authenticity, authenticity, it it tends to work more often. And that's again like the brand of Success Factors versus the brand of Service Max night and day. I was running marketing at both places. Look at the CEOs of each of their companies. The brand is so reflective of who they are and it's because we were authentic with it. Um, features and functions, and this is another thing that I see all the time. You hear of some new company, you're like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting, I'm gonna go check them out. You go read their website and 15 minutes later, you have no idea what they do, <laughs> right? You can't confuse brand and personality with core positioning and messaging, right? At the end of the day, people didn't buy success factors because they loved Elvis. It helped us get in the door and it gave us an opportunity to then leverage our very succinct and well-crafted value proposition messaging. And you should, I, I, I like to joke, it's an elevator pitch, but not for an 88 story building. like. The elevator is, the point is, you get in an elevator with someone that you've never met before and they ask you what your company does, you should be able to not only say it, but have them hear it and understand it in the amount of time that it takes to take a short elevator ride. And I think people get so focused on, well, we gotta do the problem statement and the benefits and you know, somewhere in there we're gonna get to the solution, but those other things are just, no, I wanna know first what you do. Tell me what you do, and then we can talk about why it's great and what problems it solves, et cetera. But if I can't figure out what you do, it happens on phone calls too, right? I'm 10 minutes in and I'm like, I just want to know what you do, right? And then I'll hear all the other things you want to tell me. So, so authenticity on a brand, on positioning, please, short, concise. Then you can throw in all the adjectives. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, so let's fast forward a little bit. You're now CEO of Zinc. You joined in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I'm curious what was going on at the time at Zinc, maybe start there, that they decided to hire mm -hmm. a CEO yep. and why a CEO with a CMO background? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, a perfect answer there. So Z Zinc, I was going to say CEO, Zinc was born out of a company called Kotap. Kotap was a work texting product. So basically, think of texting, but now you have your own work texting app separate from your 
you know, SMS that you use with their friends. And um, Zinc was built, sorry, Kotop was built by um, engineering and product focused guys that came out of Yammer. And their go-to-market strategy was freemium, which um, seemed like a great idea. It certainly worked for Yammer. I would argue freemium is a rare thing when it actually works. <laughs> You're, it, it takes a little bit of luck, timing. There's a lot of factors that are necessary to make freemium work. Um, it didn't really fly off the shelves for Kotap. Uh, I could elaborate on why I think that is. I think for the most part, end users are not seeking yet another messaging app to put on their phone and one that's more focused on work. Um, and at the same time, a lot of business oriented or, or office-based workers were flocking to Slack, right? So there was competitive factors, there were just dynamics of the market, um, but they tried everything they could to make freemium happen and it didn't happen. And so they were sort of at a crossroads where they felt like, wow, we really built a pretty cool core messaging app, but we don't really know the best way to take it to market because mostly we know Yammer. Um, I happen to know uh, a couple of the board members and they introduced me to the company and they and I saw that this was not an engineering problem that needed to be solved, which you would not hire me for, <laughs> um, nor a product problem. This was really all about go-to-market. Um, and so together with the board, we took, uh, we took the core assets of that CoTap texting product and we added a whole bunch of features. We narrowed the target market to deskless industries where Slack is not. Um, and we also changed freemium to, uh, we, we have a, a free trial, but then you have to pay. We sell to buyers, meaning we sell to heads of service or GMs of hotels and sometimes IT. We're not trying to get users to adopt, although they adopt it very nicely, but they adopt it because they're told there's a new app for them to use. So it was just a CEO opportunity that was really squarely fit in my experience as a go-to-market professional. Okay. Were there sort of any, I guess, big challenges or surprises in that transition <laughs> for you? <laughs> were there any? Uh, let's Maybe see. what were the biggest? How about on a daily basis? <laughs> and there are still. <laughs> um, yes. Um, I mean, I think at the biggest probably the biggest challenge is, and I'm sure everybody listening to this has has at least some familiarity with this, which is as, as a small startup, you have a runway. And um, it's nice when you're big and you're growing really fast and a lot of revenue is coming in, but when you're trying to literally get off the ground and you're pre-revenue, the clock is ticking, right? And and we had a lot of work to do before we even took it to market, right? We were building new features, we were rebranding, um, we were shifting from freemium to paid, which meant even feature changes related to that. So we were spending money um, while we were still pre-revenue. I think that was the biggest challenge was feeling under the gun to get the revenue going while there was, you know, you, it's not like you raised 50 million, right? We raised 5 million. It doesn't last that long when you're pre-revenue. So that, that and all that comes with that, because you're making hiring decisions. Um, that I think is probably the big, biggest challenge. I think that is the biggest challenge for most companies until they get to series D or profitability, yeah. right? Um, the I think the other biggest challenge 
and and is is still true today and is probably true for most of your audience is finding the right team and when you're really young and you're really unknown and um, you know you just have a handful of customers but you want great people and you're competing against either brand name companies or companies that are in the press because they're growing like crazy that and you can't pay you you can't overpay them because you got that whole runway thing over your head that's hard and um and i made i personally made some hiring decisions that i probably would not make again because i felt pressured or i felt under the gun and you know it's age-old wisdom and we all know it but i think it's hard in practice when you're pressured and you feel like I can't move forward without a head of marketing or a head of sales or a head of whatever it is and you know you can't live another day and then you realize six months later that oh, if I had just waited another day I probably could have saved myself all of that you know um, chaos that ensued because I didn't make the right decision so that's my advice is uh, it's hard. Balancing time is hard, right? I mean, even just think of those two things, right? I'm like trying to get to market at the same time I'm trying to interview and check references and attract people to something that isn't even anything yet. Um, those are probably the biggest, the biggest um, in terms of operationally. I mean, certainly convincing big, large, I mean, we sell to big enterprises, right? So Dish Networks, Marriott, companies like that, they they very carefully buy from tiny startups and you know we had to pass Marriott's security review which which meant you know that was a a big undertaking for a company our size um and so balancing that and getting through I mean I could go on but I would say a lot of the day-to-day issues fall under those categories yeah so coming back around um to marketing, I guess I'm curious um, whether, like, now that you've been in both chairs, specifically with marketing, like, do you have any advice for CEOs about how to work with marketing, how to hire that CMO role, how to think about it? Yeah, all the time I get asked to speak with other CEOs and founders, I think for the most part, and maybe this will be a generalization, most CEOs and founders either have a product engineering background or they have a sales background. Very few of them have a marketing background, which I hope changes. But I feel like all the time CEOs are saying, I really, well, I don't have any idea. Like, what should I be doing? Who should I be hiring? What should that look like? And um, my answer typically is, I can't tell you that until I talk to you because there's no cookie cutter approach to marketing. I remember in in earlier lives interviewing for CMO jobs and having people say, "Well, I'd like to, you know, understand your 30, 60, 90 plan." And I'm like, "What? I can't give you a, a 90 day plan until I've even started because I don't know what we need and I don't know what's going to work and I haven't had time to understand you, your brand, the company, the value prop." the customer, what they want, what are the objections, and you don't have time to educate me enough to have, you know, so I would say be wary of people that come in and tell you they know exactly what they're, what needs to be done, um, because it's different, and again, look at what we did at Success Factors versus what we did at ServiceMax, night and day. 
Um, so my response typically is first try to get an understanding of the core functions of the marketing department, which I hope your book will help them with, right? Do you need product marketing? Do you need demand gen? Do you need branding? Do you need a growth hacker? Are you selling to SMB? Are you selling to enterprise? Is marketing doing the lion's share of, of creating opportunities and deals? Or do you have a sales development team where your partner, like there's, that just get an understanding of what's the difference between demand gen, growth marketing, and product marketing. Um, and, and I think once you understand that, you'll probably know where your most important area is going to be. Um, also, where are you strong, right? If, you're, if you've got a product background, probably you're gonna be stronger in product marketing. You probably need to strengthen your demand gen or corporate marketing or branding or PR, right? So where are your strengths and weaknesses? Um, and then I would hire to that. So if you are hiring a head of marketing, you and you have a sense of what's going to be the most important part of marketing, or what's going to be um, the the biggest area of weakness today, I would hire someone who leans more toward that way. It's hard to find a CMO who has has it all. They pretty much have either come up through the ranks of product marketing, through the ranks of demand gen, through the ranks of PR and branding. Um, so to find someone who does all of that really well is gonna be hard. You probably wanna hire somebody who leans toward what you need, and then under them, they should hire toward what they don't have, right? Um, but I think really getting an understand of the understanding of the core functions of marketing is the right first step. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think, um, last question, um, okay. do you think there's anything in particular you've done here at Zinc that you think has been sort of instrumental? I'm probably a million things, million small things, but is there anything in particular that you'd say, you know, we did this or either that, or there was a mistake we made, which I'm glad we rectified and this was, you know, something I would warn people against or I don't know, an aha. I mean, again, so many little things on a day-to-day -day basis. I would say I think that that probably the the thing that has determined the success we've had. And again, we're still small and growing, right? Like this yeah. isn't a success story yet. Um, we're doing well, and and I'm excited about it, but we're still quite young. Um, but, but that decision to, to focus on deskless industries, and again, that goes back to who are we? Um, what are, what's our value? Our value was that we were, we were built to be highly, highly mobile, right? This was a work texting app. app. Most people don't text from their computers. You do now, but back then you didn't, right? It was something you did from your phone. And, and though Kotap was a horizontal play, um, the strength of Kotap was how easy to use the user experience was on, on a mobile device. And that was a huge differentiator against Slack and now Microsoft Teams and Skype and all the other communication and collaboration tools that have been built for people sitting at computers, right? Slack is best on a computer. It's okay on a phone. It was built to be on a computer. Kotap was built on a phone. Um, and so we knew that mobile was our big differentiator. And I also knew from working at ServiceMax that that field-based worker was 
neglected as it relates to technology. So I knew that we could both differentiate, but also get out of a crowded market. We literally never compete against Slack, never. People are not looking at Slack for their field service teams or for their hotel worker, right? It's it's not the right tool. Yeah. So I think that decision to say, okay, it's still a big, huge market opportunity. We didn't narrow so much that we didn't give ourselves a lot a big market to sell to, but we got out of what was very crowded and you know a growing sort of behemoth. Um, and I think the value proposition for our product, which is highly usable mobile UX, is what those types of workers need. Um, so I would say that, and that was, the, I mean, that was out of the gate. We made those, like that was like go-to-market strategy 101, right? I do not want to be competing against a big, huge competitor, um, and I don't want to just be selling horizontal, right? I got to get out of their way and focus on a market where my strengths resonate. And so I think that was probably the best thing we've done. Um, I could probably tell you about mistakes we've made on a very regular <laughs> basis. Yeah, but that idea of focus, I think, is really important. And, and I think it's something that people struggle with because there's pressure from an uh, investment standpoint to claim the big market, etc. Yeah. But you can't do everything well. And you know, I, the transition for me from Success Factors to Service Max was where I learned that because uh, Success Factors was very narrowly focused on HR, but it was HR at literally any company in the world. Like we had zero throwaway leads. If you were in HR, you cared about employee performance. Like. The, the, it was about as horizontal of a solution as you can get. From a marketing perspective, it was pretty awesome, right? Like everything worked. And there's tons of communities and shows and HR is a very established audience. And then I got to ServiceMax and it was like field service and not just field service, field service actually in only specific industries. And it was not only felt tiny, but also there was no established community. Like there was one show, there was one publication that nobody read. And so I'm like, where are they? Oh, so I can market, oh, they're nowhere. They don't even talk to each other. They're in their garage fixing something. They're not at a show like an HR person, right? So in that scenario, we had to create the community ourselves. We created our own content site that we called Field Service Digital. Actually in the early days, we called it Smart Van until we could by the URL, Field Service Digital, and we created a content site. And we pumped articles. It was not affiliated with ServiceMax. We pumped it with articles, and we just put it out to the community. We started having events. So, um, it, but it, it was such a stark contrast to what we did at Success Factors, and that's where I learned that, hey, sometimes you have the luxury of a big horizontal market, and you can spray and pray, and it works. And sometimes you are selling to a very narrow market, um, and and that can work too, right? I mean, ServiceMax dominates that space now. So uh, there's a time and a place for focus. Again, it goes back to who are you? Who are you selling to? Yeah. So anything we've missed? Any? I mean, I'm sure we've missed a ton of stuff, but any? I guess last uh, the, anything we didn't cover that you think is super important or last piece of advice. I mean, I guess the last thing I would say is I do 
and I think most marketers have experienced this in their careers where they're working for a CEO that that doesn't really get marketing and that's fine. There's a difference between not understanding marketing and not valuing marketing. And I think value marketing has become such a such a metrics oriented profession now that we can measure it, right? That um, I caution anyone to not value marketing. And if you don't feel like you understand the value of what your marketing team wants you to invest in, again, we all have the pressure of the runway. I don't want to spend money. So why should I do that? You know, why should I pay that PR agency 20 grand a month and I don't see any leads from it? Well, again, like the, don't be so sure to cast it off as not valuable. Take the time to try to understand that. And that's either through lots of dialogue with your team, through with, through peers, with your board. Um, you know, marketing is an incredibly valuable tool. I don't think there's been a lot of successful companies that didn't have a strong marketing team. So, um, you know, measure what you can, and 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 if you're really feeling uncomfortable about what marketing's contributing, I would say take the time to dig in a little deeper and really understand, you know, why is that, and and are they doing the right things, and and you're just not understanding it, or do you not have the right team? Are you not doing the right things? But but don't cast it off as as not valuable. Excellent. Well, thank you, Stacy. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I love Stacy's point of view, her expertise, her insights. I love how she thinks about the discipline of marketing. I love how she thinks about her authentic self and how she breaks down some of the quandaries that people have on hiring a marketer, bringing the best marketer in, what to look for in a CMO. Like I said in the intro, she's seen it, been there, done it, and she's got the t-shirt. So if you'd like to follow her, Stacy is easy to find. It's Stacy Epstein. You can find that on Twitter, LinkedIn, or on StacyEpstein.com. If you're confused and would like to find her anyway, you can do so on foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, the place where exceptional founders grow. Pleased to announce that the book Beyond Product is now out and went to the number one Amazon hot list for new releases on its first day. So if you have not had a chance to download and read the ebook, come visit us at foundersplace.co and get a copy complimentary of our first chapter. Again, that is foundersplace.co. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.